0: Well, good morning, Open Door family. And I want to invite you, as Pastor Duane said, to take your Bible and find the book of Joshua chapter 1. But since we are beginning today a study of Joshua, we are actually going to start in Deuteronomy. Now, I took you to Joshua because Deuteronomy is the book that immediately precedes it. But for us to really get the flow of the biblical narrative it would be helpful for us to read two passages very quickly In Deuteronomy. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 31. If you would turn there, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And then we will read the end of Deuteronomy 34. And I think you'll see how seamlessly Deuteronomy rolls into and flows into the book of Joshua. A text this morning that we're going to give the title, Be Encouraged No Matter What. Because God is with you. But look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 31 beginning with verse 1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God Himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall depose them And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Now, take these words because we're going to hear almost verbatim the same words in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And here is one of the key verses in all of the Bible, including Deuteronomy and Joshua. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34, and let's begin with verse 5 and read to the end of that chapter. Verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended." And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses the servant of the Lord the Lord said to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, note the past tense there, I've already given it to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, As far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, which is the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And so the first of three times he will say this, be strong and courageous for you shall cause his people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to the law of Moses, my servant, which he commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. And the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. I believe in our day and time, few things are in greater need and in shorter supply than the characteristic of courage. The fact of the matter is, people since the fall have not been courageous. Sin, on the one hand, makes us stupid And sin, in addition, makes us all cowards. Go back to the Garden of Eden and the story of Adam and Eve. And when they sin, what do they do? Like cowards, they try to flee from the Lord and they try to hide themselves and cover themselves with fig leaves. Unfortunately, not much has changed. Even in our own day and time, too often I think God's people are fearful to do the right thing in the right way and for the right reasons and at the right time. Which, by the way, I think is a good way to describe courage. Why? Well, we are like everybody else. We we fear opposition. Uh, we fear criticism. Uh, we fear being uh, canceled in this day and age of social media. And so, as a result of that because of the opposition, because of the discouragement, because of the fear, we get quiet. And we fail to speak, and we also fail to do what God has told us to do. And I think one of the reasons is answered for us in this first chapter in the book of Joshua, the problem is we forget. We forget. We forget on the one hand that God has promised to be with us, no matter where we go, no matter what we do. And secondly, God has clearly spoken to us in His Word as to exactly what it is that He expects us to do and expects us to obey. We're going to see in this particular passage that God does speak, and He speaks directly to Joshua as He commissions him to take the lead, to take over for Moses and lead the nation of Israel into the land that He has promised to give them. Now, let's get the quick context. Israel has been delivered, the Hebrews have been delivered out of their 400 years of Egyptian bondage. God led them through the Red Sea. In Exodus chapter 14, He destroyed the Pharaoh army, and he defeated the Egyptians, and then he brings them right to the land of promise. But unfortunately, at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 13 and 14, they rebel. And actually, uh, in fact, if you go back and read it, they actually say to Moses, it was better in Egypt. We liked it better when we were in slavery. Would to God that we could go back. And the Lord was so angry with them. He puts them in wandering throughout the wilderness for 40 years. Every single adult will die with the exception of two men, Joshua and Caleb. You remember the story. They were two of the 12 spies. They went in, spied out the land, came back and said, the land is ripe the taking, God has told us to go, let's go. The other ten wimped out. They were fearful. They became cowards. And because of that, the nation followed them. And 40 years of wandering in the wilderness was the experience of Israel. But now the 40 years are up. Now the life of Moses has come to an end. And now they're in a time of unbelievable transition, from perhaps the greatest man who has ever lived up until that point in time, Moses. And now the leadership mantle is being passed from Moses to Joshua. And even Moses, as great as he was, was denied interest into the promised land because at Meribah in Numbers chapter 20, remember, they were thirsty, they were dying of thirst. And, and God says, well, Moses, just speak to the rock and I'll bring water out of it. But Moses was ticked at the nation for their rebellion and all the difficulties they were causing him. And so rather than speak to the rock, he struck the rock. And even for that simple act of disobedience, God denied Moses his servant into entrance into the promised land. Well, as we saw at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses' life is at an end. He has preached many sermons that are recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy. And now that he is about to die, the mantle is to be passed from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 through 9 records for us the transition that takes place and the commission to go into and take the land. Now think about this. This is an incredible time of upheaval. Uh, This is an incredible time of uncertainty. Imagine, for example, that you are a child that had lived through the wilderness wanderings, and now you're an adult, and you're about to go into the land. You've never known a leader but Moses. You've never known a leader but Moses. I I remember watching uh, television when uh, Queen Elizabeth died. And I remember a little girl that they showed with her mother. Mother had videoed, you know, parents are so evil sometimes taking pictures of children the way they do, but she had taken a little video of her daughter crying, and she was just boo-hooing because our queen is dead. And our mother said, Well, honey, that's okay. They'll they'll reply, I don't want another queen. She's the only queen I've ever known. Uh, There are many people, uh, grandparents of ours, maybe great grandparents, that for years and years and years, they only knew one president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And when he died, the nation went into deep mourning. Who can follow Queen Elizabeth? Who can follow Franklin Delano Roosevelt? In recent days in the Christian community, Billy Graham died. Who can follow or take the place of Billy Graham? And when times like that occur, we need to make sure our eyes are in the right place, not on some man or woman, but our eyes are where they need to be on God. And as we see this passage unfold, we see four wonderful lessons that God gives us that should encourage us that no matter where we are, no matter what's happening, no matter what we may be doing, God is indeed with us. So what's the first lesson we learn from this particular passage of Scripture? Well, number one, we need to remember, God's servants, they come and they go. God's servants, they come and they go. Verse 1, after the death of Moses. Now mark the next phrase, the servant of the Lord. It's interesting that only up until this time in the Bible is Moses called the servant of the Lord. He was called that in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5, and he will be called that again and again and again in the book of Joshua. In fact, Moses, the great leader, which he was, the great lawgiver, which he was, the great liberator and mediator, he was all of that. The greatest title he receives is the servant of the Lord. Thirteen times in Joshua, he is called the servant of the Lord. And interestingly, Joshua himself will finally get that title as well at the very end of the book in chapter 24 and verse 29. And yet the title, Servant of the Lord, though rightly applied to Moses and rightly applied to Joshua, will ultimately be one of the great titles of the Suffering Servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Isaiah chapter 53. And often you will hear people say, and rightly so, that, that Jesus is indeed a greater Moses. And he is. He's that greater prophet that was promised to come in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And he is a greater Joshua because he is a greater general, a greater leader, a greater captain of God's people. And so the title, Servant of the Lord, yes, rightly applied to Moses, rightly applied to Joshua, but ultimately, rightly applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we read that Moses is dead. In fact, God speaks to Joshua directly in verse 2. Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. But here's the good news. God's servant may be dead, but God's not dead. God's workers may die, but as Warren Wiersbe says, God buries His workers, but His work Goes on. Now, again, this has to be a traumatic time for the nation of Israel. And I believe it had to be a traumatic time for Joshua as well. Think about Joshua's upbringing and Joshua's life. Joshua was born a slave in, in Egypt. He was born a slave in Egypt. Initially, Numbers chapter 13 and verse 8 tells us his name was Joshua. Joshua. And the word Joshua means salvation. But just like Jesus gave Peter a new name, gave Simon the new name Peter Rock, uh, Joshua was given a new name by Moses. And in Numbers 13, 16, he changes his name to Joshua. And Joshua means the Lord or Yahweh saves. Now, if you've studied the Bible for many years, you know that Joshua in Hebrew has as its Greek equivalent Yeshua or Jesus. And just as Joshua means the Lord saves, so Jesus means the Lord saves as well. And it's interesting. He's given that name in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 where Joseph is told you shall name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then just two verses later he's given the title what? Emmanuel. Which means what? God with us. And so even here, this inkling of the God who is with His people is being planted in terms of a seed that will ultimately reach fruition in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Joshua, born a slave. Joshua, originally given the name uh, Joshua, Joshua, very quickly, excuse me, would become a great leader. He'd be a great captain, great general, unbelievable warrior. And so in many ways you would think, well, he was ideal to be the next person to follow in the footsteps of Moses. And yet, he wasn't Moses. And as my friend James Merritt puts it so well, Joshua wasn't just following a leader. Joshua was following a legend. And you have to imagine that Joshua and the nation were wondering, is he up to the task? I mean, really? I mean, Joshua's cool, but he ain't no Moses. Uh, Joshua's a bad boy. But he hasn't done what Moses has done. And again, keep this in mind, from the beginning of Exodus all the way to the end of Deuteronomy, who's been the main figure? Moses. Moses dominates Exodus. Moses dominates Leviticus. Moses dominates Numbers. Moses dominates Deuteronomy. And now Moses is dead and Moses is gone. But God would want us to understand something. God's servants come and go. But God remains the same today, yesterday, and forever. God is still on His throne. But number two, we should also remember God always keeps His word. God always keeps His word. We see this in verses 2 through 4, but also in verse 6. Now, Joshua knew what God had promised Moses concerning the promised land. But you know what? It really did help Joshua to hear it directly from God himself. And so that's exactly what God does in verse 2. He speaks directly to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, and I would encourage you to mark that word now. I'll come back to it. Now, therefore, you arise and you go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving you. In my study for this particular passage, which I'd actually never studied in any detail before, I discovered that actually uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, give us the outline for the remainder of the book. That gives us the outline for the remainder of the book. You say, how so? Well, Joshua 1, 2 speaks of crossing over the Jordan. Well, that's chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 12. Then in verse 3, it begins to talk about the conquering or the conquest of the land. Well, that takes place from chapter 5, verse 13 through chapter 12 verse 24. Then you have in verse 4 where he speaks of the distribution of the land north, south, west, and east. And that is described in chapter 13 all the way through chapter 22. And then finally the end of Joshua's life is recorded in chapter 23 and chapter 24. So, the first five verses of Joshua one, kind of provide the outline that you're going to follow through the remainder of the study of this particular book. Now, my friend Crawford Loretz well says, and I think he's exactly right. If you want a great exposition on courage, read Joshua one one through nine. It may be the finest exposition of courage in all of the Bible. And he notes this: courage always arises when we have a clear assignment from our God. Courage will always arise when we have a clear assignment from our God. And that's exactly what God gives Joshua in these verses. Now again, he's very honest. Moses, my servant, is dead. All right? What do we do now? Robert Smith says the whole passage, and I think he's right, turns on that word now in verse 2. Now, Moses is dead. Now, get moving. Now, take action. Now, get going. Now, therefore, you arise and you go over this Jordan. You might summarize these verses in this way, emphasizing that word now. Now, Moses is dead. You, Joshua, arise and go over the Jordan. Verse 2. Now Moses is dead. You, Joshua, arise, you and all this people. Moses is dead. Now you, Joshua, arise, go into the land that I am giving to them, all the people of Israel. You arise and go. And look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have passed tense. I have already given that to you. And then in verse 4, he delineates the massive reach of that land that he is giving to the nation of Israel. By the way, they will not actually obtain the totality of the promised land until the reign of David and the reign of Solomon. And yet God has promised to them as he did to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, all of this land. I have already given to you. I promised it to the patriarchs. I promised it to Moses. I'm now promising it to Joshua. You remember, our God is a God who always keeps His Word. We may break ours, but He never breaks His. But number three, and this may be the sweetest of the four observations from this text, remember, God will never leave or forsake us our God will never leave or forsake us. It is one of the most precious promises I believe in all of the Word of God. It occurs as we read a moment ago in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8. It occurs again in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 23 And it occurs in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the last phrase of verse 5, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. One of the men that I read said that that wonderful promise reaches a double climax in the Bible. It reaches a climax first in the incarnation, Jesus being our Emmanuel, God with us. But it reaches a second climax in the Great Commission. What does the Bible say at the end? And lo, I am with you, what? Always, even to the very end of the age. Now, why is it that Joshua needs to be reminded multiple times in Deuteronomy and in Joshua that God is going to be with him no matter where he may go? Well, here's what I think. Even though Joshua was a great leader, a godly man, a great warrior, Even great men have doubts. Even people that are here today, you got your stuff together. Uh, People very uh, seldom think that you're uh, discouraged or that you're in doubt. You you just kind of carry yourself in a way that just bespeaks courage and, and confidence. But you and I both know on the inside, there are times in all of our lives where we doubt, we wonder. Something is on the horizon and we begin to ask ourselves, am I up for this? I mean, really, do I have what it takes to do that? And in fact, if you're humble like you ought to be, many times you'll say, no, I'm not. I can't do that. That assignment's too big for me. That task is more than I have the ability to accomplish good. Now you're at the place where God might actually use you. See, God doesn't work great through cocky people. God works great through humble people. And humble people need to be encouraged. And Joshua needed to be reminded that no matter what he was going to face, he had a promise from his sovereign God that he would be with him no matter what. Look at it again, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you. All the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God, he is with you wherever you may go. But you know, the fact of the matter is, sometimes even though we know from his word that God is with us, we can still doubt. We can still wonder. We can still be unsure. Those of you that know me know that I, I love missionary biographies. I, I read them all the time. I, I've written on them. And, and one of my favorite uh, is the couple, uh, Adoniram and Ann Judson. Uh, they uh, were from America, first appointed missionaries from, Baptist missionaries from America. I love the story. They weren't initially Baptist. They were congregational. Uh, that means they baptized babies. And so they were on their way to India uh, as missionaries for the Congregationalists. But they knew that when they got to India they were going to run into William Carey. Well, William Carey was a Baptist. And of course, William Carey has got the right view of baptism. He doesn't baptize babies. By the way, I said this early service, so if you're here today and you're uh, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, Episcopalian, or Catholic and you baptize babies, We forgive you. Get on the right side of baptism, all right? And be glad to talk to you about that after the service. But anyway, so what is carried In fact, I challenge you to do what Judson did. Judson got his Greek, well, maybe you can't read Greek. I'm not great at it either. But he got his New Testament started reading it because he knew he would need to be able to defend infant baptism when he got to India. And after reading through the New Testament, guess what he discovered? You can't do it. There's no infant baptism in the New Testament. So he gets to India he resides as a congregational missionary. He uh, submits to believers' baptism, and then is sent to Burma, he and his wife, to be missionaries. They wrote a note, by the way, back to the Baptists in America, Say, by the way, I know you didn't know this, but now you got missionaries in Burma, send money. And then, praise God, they did. Well, while they were in Burma, their story is, is so moving, but also so tragic, imprisonment, persecution. Uh, judson finally gets out of prison after being there for almost two years and has just delivered their baby girl she's emaciated physically long story short judson leaves to go on a trip gets a letter he's almost certain the letter is telling him that his precious little girl had died it was not about the death of his uh, little girl in fact it's called the black sealed letter it was the death of his wife Anne had died a few months later the baby girl dies Judson goes in such a state of discouragement and depression. He goes out into the jungle. They literally thought that he had been eaten by tigers. He was gone so long. He goes out into the jungle. He digs a grave. And for months, he does nothing but day after day after day after day stare into that grave. Later, he would write of his experience, and he would simply pen these words. Speaking to God, he wrote, I know you are there but I can't find you. I know you're there, statement of faith, but I can't find you, doubt. And you know what? Some of God's greatest servants go through times like that. You by faith know He's still there. He's still with me. But I sure don't feel it. I sure can't see it. And yet, We believe and we trust because we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. And so Joshua, no doubt, is wondering, am I up to this task? Lord, you've said that you've caught, but am I? And he needed to hear from the Lord that promise, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. By the way, God does several things that reaffirms that. I did not know this again until I got into the study, but there are a number of interesting parallels Between the life of Moses and the life of Joshua that I think God used just to affirm to Joshua, I'm there, I'm with you, I will never leave you or forsake you. You say, how so? Well, God was with Moses when he parted the waters of the Red Sea, and he'll be with Joshua when he parts the waters of the Jordan River. He was with Moses when he defeated the Egyptians, and he will be with Joshua when he defeats the Hittites and the other Ites in that land. He was with Moses at the burning bush when he commanded Moses, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And in Joshua 5.15, the commander of the army of the Lord will say the exact same words to Joshua, remove your shoes because the place you're standing is holy holy ground and i just have to believe that god used each of those events just as a way of reminding joshua of his promise i'm with you i'm with you and i will never leave you and i will never forsake you which leads us to the fourth observation remember when god gives us a strategy for success we can trust him that it will work When God gives us a strategy for success, we can trust Him that it will work. We find this in verses 6 through 9, and we see three times, evidently once was enough. God doesn't stutter, but if God tells you something two or three times, it's probably more for your benefit than God's. Don't you think? I think so. And so even though again he has told Joshua, I'll never leave you or forsake you, not once, not twice, three times, look at it. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous, and be careful to do according to all that the law of Moses my servant has commanded you. Don't get, don't get sidetracked. Don't you turn from it to the right hand or or to the left. You you just be strong and courageous. You're going to have good success wherever you go. And again, verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why? Because Yahweh your God, the Lord your God is going to be with you no matter where you may go. I have been greatly blessed over the years by the writings of a man named Oswald Sanders. I would commend to all of you, whether you're in the ministry or not, his book entitled Spiritual Leadership may be the best book outside the Bible I've ever read on the issue of leadership. And it is so insightful from this man that he himself was a missiologist and had a heart for the nations. Well, here's what Oswald Sanders says in Spiritual Leadership. Leaders require courage of the highest order. Always moral courage and often physical courage as well. Courage is that quality of mind which enables people to encounter danger or difficulty firmly without fear or discouragement. discouragement. Now, not everyone is courageous by nature. In fact, I would argue most of us are. A call to courage would actually be rather pointless if nobody feared anything. So it's not unusual for God to challenge us to be courageous because naturally in our fallen sinfulness we're not we're not but then I really love the writings of Paul Tripp another brilliant uh, Christian theologian and 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 counselor and he has an excellent book also on leadership but listen to what he said I don't care whether you're in the ministry or not these are some really good words from a man who really understands our, our phobias and our fallenness and our need for our faith to be reaffirmed in the right kind of a way. So listen to what he says. It's a little long, but it's worth every word. Perhaps it doesn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway. Effective ministry leadership takes courage. You will face opposition. You will endure accusations, misunderstandings, and questions about your qualifications. At times, precious relationships will be strained and family burdens will weigh you down. Physical illness and weakness might at times make ministry look impossible and you'll feel weak and unable, not up to the task God has assigned you. And the enemy will taunt and tempt you. At times, your work will bear no visible fruit you will be tempted to fantasize about an easier place of ministry. There are times when you feel undervalued and underappreciated. At times, you might feel overburdened by trying to balance your family life with your ministry and the gospel. And it seems, by the way, you're not doing any of them very well. When as a leader, in a moment of hardship, you forget the grace of god's presence and his commitment to exercise his power on your behalf you become a sitting duck for the cruel lies of the enemy he wants to give way he wants you to give way to anxiety producing questions of what if what if what if what if he wants you to go back and question your calling. He wants to rob you of your courage and your desire to continue. He wants to create chaos inside of you and disunity between you and fellow believers. He will attack as often as he can, and he will take any foothold he is given. As a leader, you should remind yourself over and over and over again you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against spiritual forces in high places. And as you remind yourself of who it is that actually opposes you, you'd better also remind yourself of this, the presence of God, the glory of God, and the grace of the one who is with you and for you. What every leader will face, he cannot endure or defeat on his own. And this is precisely why God has promised that he would not even think of leaving you or forsaking you. It is simply out of the question. So the God who has made that kind of promise to every one of us in this room gives us a very simple fourfold formula for how we have success as God defines success. I just noted very quickly and we're through. Number one, just obey his word. Just obey His Word. The word do occurs five times in verses 6 to the end, and again, and again, and again. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Look again at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And by the way, please hear me and hear me well. The word that God may speak into your heart through the Holy Spirit will never contradict the word he has written in his Bible. The Word that God may speak into your heart through the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word He has written in the Bible. If you think, well, I have a Word from God to do this, and it's contrary to the Word of God, mark it down. It didn't come from God. It either came from the evil one or your own machinations. God will never contradict His Word in your heart he will always affirm his written word. So just obey his word. You've got a direct word from God. There's some things folks, you don't have to pray about it. God says it, you believe it and you do it. Secondly, speak his word. Speak his word verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart where from your mouth. In the ancient world, they tended to read the Bible out loud when they, even when they were meditating on the Bible. And so I agree with Robert Smith. We ought to, when we read the Bible devotionally, read it out loud. You'll hear it in a different way. It'll impact you in a different way. And I don't think he's limiting to us reading it to ourselves. I think he means you read the Word to others, but also you need to speak God's Word to yourself as well. Then number three, meditate on His Word. I'm glad we read Psalm 1. is a perfect commentary to what we read here in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate. Chew it over and over like a cow chewing its cud. You will meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. In other words, it's not enough just to read the Bible. You need to meditate on the Bible. You need, as Spurgeon said, to soak In the word. So we obey it, we speak it, we meditate on it, and then finally we enjoy the blessings of it. Verse 8 or verse 7 do not turn from it, that is from the word to the right or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. At the end of verse 8 for then, as you obey the word, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, it's interesting. We live in a time where people want to talk about success, and they want to talk about accomplishing things, and they get it all out of whack in terms of what the Bible teaches. And we think in terms of, well, if I'm successful, and if I'm prosperous, and that means I, I make more money, I have a better position, have more influence, I'm climbing the ladder. And by the way, every time I hear people talk about success in that kind of a way, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It profits him nothing. No, my good friend James Merritt has, I think, the best definition of success I've ever heard. It's very, very simple. He says, success is having God beside you in life, having God in you in life, and having God beside you at death. Success is having God in you in life, and having God beside you at death. That is a successful person. And so Joshua is ready to take on the greatest challenge of his life. He's got his doubts. He's got his fears. He's got his anxieties. But God steps up to the plate and says, Just remember, Joshua, servants come and go. I remain the same. I've given you my word. You can take it to the bank. I've given you a promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I've given you a formula. You obey my word. You speak my word. You meditate on my word. And you can enjoy my word. And listen to this. You be encouraged no matter where you go. Because I promise you, I will be with you every step of the way. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the encouragement of these first nine verses in Joshua. I thank you, Lord, that even a great man like Joshua, and he was a great man, a man's man in every way, needed encouragement. Uh, he had a task that he knew was bigger than, than he was capable of handling. But he knew this, anyone plus God is all we need. Anyone plus God is all we need. And he had you, and he had your promise, and your promise was, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So let's get going. Let's get the work done. I have promised I will be with you every step of the way. And Lord, that same promise you gave to Joshua, you give to all of your children who know you by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who have committed to serving you no matter what, wherever it is you want us to be. So, Lord, I pray for every man and woman here today, every boy and girl that knows you as Savior, that they would indeed trust you and your word, knowing God has promised his presence, God has given me his word, what more do I need? Answer, we don't need anything, because when we have Jesus, we have more than enough. And it is in his name that we pray, amen and amen.